Ladies and gentlemen, guys and girls, welcome to another installment of the Daily Degenerate Podcast, episode 138. Yeah. My name is Thank you all for tuning into the podcast. Anything that you want, no, we got that. Sport, we got that. Joke, we got that. We just getting started, so don't turn me down. Stop that. From LA all the way to the A. Maddie, you know, and got so many things to say. Switching up the topic. Hey, it's going good, Cohen. You know, I'm ready for some college football tonight. Some NBA playoffs. MLB. I mean, what more could you ask for, man? Let's go back to the screen again. Yes, sir. Who we got tonight? South Alabama and um tonight we got South Alabama and um let's see here. I'll pull them up right now. It's South Alabama versus Southern Miss, and then there was one other game as well. Um, oh, the other one was uh, um, University of Central Arkansas versus UAB. Well, there we go. Just about nobody I've ever heard of. But uh, another thing we have going tonight is the second round um, of the NBA playoffs. Some teams in the East have been playing already, but the West has been wrapped up after two great Game 7s, if you ask me, uh, between the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz, and then between – the Houston Rockets, your Houston Rockets, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, let's talk about the first round for a bit. What was your favorite series to watch? Um, my uh, favorite. Whew, that's actually tough. Honestly, I mean, the I think the best series to watch out of all of them. I mean, actually, why is it even a tough question? It's a no-brainer, man. It's it's the Jazz. It's the Jazz and the Nuggets, man. I mean, watching two guys trade fi- trade fifty point games back and forth, and no defense being played at all. I mean, there's nothing more fun than watching that. And in typical Vegas fashion, the over under for Murray and Mitchell points was set at like twenty nine and a half for each of them, and they don't even come close to them in the last game. Like Vegas ran, took the money, and ran on that one. Oh no, abs- absolutely. I mean. I couldn't even believe, honestly, how that game seven played out. I mean, it felt like no, Denver couldn't throw, or I mean, uh, Utah couldn't throw it in the ocean in the first half, and the exact opposite happened in the second half. I mean, it was like Denver was trying to hand Utah the game, and they didn't want to take it, and were trying to hand it back to them. It was like, here, you you go to the next round. No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. A hundred percent. Even going into the last one point or two point four seconds, you didn't know mm-hmm. who was going to win. Conley could have easily made that shot. Um, Speaking of our projections for, for, for the round, I, ha- I had Denver in seven, and that's exactly what happened. Um, it was a great series to watch. That was, of course, the best series of the first round. Um, there was no other series that even came close to being that good. Congrats to Denver. They're moving on. They're going to be playing the Los Angeles Clippers. We're going to look at the line for that in a second. But let's talk about some other series. Let's talk about your Houston Rockets defeating the Oklahoma City Thunder last night in a game seven. Were you ever scared that it wasn't going to go your way? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was scared the entire game and the entire series. I mean, I really thought once we had the break the other day that, I mean, I thought Houston was done, to be honest with you. I mean, I didn't think Westbrook was going to be healthy and be able to come back. I thought really the only chance they had was with that break to kind of get Westbrook back and healthy a little bit. Um, I thought that game game five was kind of a fluke. So, you know, I was very worried going into game six and seven. And I mean, I knew that game last night. I knew six was way too many points, but I knew it was going to play out to about the last possession. I thought it was kind of crazy, though. You know, it was like hard to get throw in the ocean the whole game. But the great players, man, they find a way to win the game no matter what. And James Harden came up with the biggest defensive stop at the entire game at the end when he blocked Luke Dort on the three. And also, 
If you had told me Lou Dort was going to score 30 points, I would have told you that Oklahoma City won the game by 20. Anything could happen in the bubble. Anything mm-hmm. could happen I'm, in the bubble. I mean, Cohen, if I told you before the game started Lou Dort was going to score 30 points, what would you have guessed the final score would have been? 120-111 OKC. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I figured if he was going to have the game of his life, then it'd be a blowout. But actually, he was about the only damn damn person who could throw it in the in the ocean last night on offense. And what was that last play that the Thunder ran? Why are we, why are we not hitting Adams, cutting to the bucket, or why are we not finding Chris Paul across the court wide open? Like why, why does your best player not touch the ball in the last possession? Yeah, well, Chris Paul had the ball, and he ended up passing it up to SGA, and then after that point, it was just kind of a somebody-do-something-with-it type thing, you but know? But it was, it, it, was just a re, it was just a reset for the possession. Like, Chris Paul gave him because he picked up his dribble. You, SGA should have just given the ball right back to CP3. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. By the way, there's something I want to throw up here and mention. I got banned earlier this year on Twitter for using some very choice words with an idiot who tried to say that SGA is better than Trey Young. And honestly, like, I wish that that person could be exposed and embarrassed publicly because SGA, I mean, he scored under 10 points and shot two for eight or three for less in over half the games in this series. And on top of even him doing that and playing awful, he's scared to shoot three pointers. Like literally last night, I can't tell you the amount of times I watched them throw him a pass where he was standing wide open on the three-point line, and he tried to dribble in and shoot a floater or do something else with the ball rather than shoot a wide-open three. I mean, get the hell out of here if you think that there's even a comparison between those two players. Yeah, no, it, it, it's not even close. Um, I, I know the feeling, though. I tried to predict the whole Dan Quinn thing before everybody else did, but I can't really embarrass <laughs> anybody now because – my team still sucks. But let's move on to the next series that happened. Um, L.A. and Dallas, the Clippers versus Dallas. Um, do you think if KP is there full-time that that would have been a different series? No, I really don't think it would have been. Look, call me crazy. This might sound a little stupid, but the Clippers only show up when they have a sense of urgency. And when there's a sense of urgency, they can flip the switch and turn it on. Look, you can say that maybe about a few people, players that have ever played in the league, but Kawhi Leonard's one of the very few. I mean, we see him rest on regular season nights because the regular season doesn't matter to him. It's all about the playoffs. In the playoffs, Kawhi, I've never once watched a Kawhi Leonard playoff game and said, wow, Kawhi Leonard should have showed up. You know, like he shows up every single time in the playoffs. I really think the Clippers were never worried about Dallas, and it was kind of like a, and eh, we can't, because I mean, look what happened. Every single time they lost, they came back and blew them out. You know, it was kind of like that. Once we lose, we're like, all right, we got to play. Like, if we mess around, they will beat us. Well, and plus the the, the wins that, that Dallas was able to get the two wins, one of them was off of a crazy fucking buzzer beater. So it's not like Dallas ha- had the answer to the Clippers. They won off of Lucky and, you know, kind of outside their head plays. Yeah, they were also down in that game by about 10, 15 points at the start of the fourth quarter and just got hot and came back in the game because, like I said, there's no sense of urgency for the Clippers. You know, I think this, I think, I personally think in this next round, the Clippers should sweep the Nuggets. Maybe they'll drop one for that reason. But trust me, once they get the Lakers up in the conference finals or the Rockets, whoever they play, they'll have that sense of urgency there every single game. Yeah, and uh, let's talk about LA and Portland, the Lakers versus Portland. Um, it, it happened in five games. I didn't think that anybody who picked Portland had any sort of right idea at all. Like, me and you said, like, let's let me flip the page and, and, and see what my original prediction was. It was Lakers in six, and then it happened to be Lakers in five. I didn't think Damian was going to be injured for that last game. So, 
Lakers just made very quick work of Portland. Um, the two bigs for Portland that came back really didn't play all that good. Uh, McCollum played okay. He didn't play great. The the bench for the Portland in, in game number five played a little bit better than I thought they would without Portland or without the Dame, but that was just no chance for the Clippers or, or for the Lakers. It was just easy work. Um, Toronto and Brooklyn, easy sweep. Um, Boston, Philly. I didn't think it was going to be a sweep. I had Celtics in five, but Boston just made the quickest work of Philadelphia that they could. Yeah, you know, um, whew, you know, I I pretty much expected what happened in that series. I'm not even gonna lie. Like, like we said before the series started, like I was telling you, Cohen, I thought that the Blazers' defensive numbers were so pathetic that. I didn't think they had anyone to match up with LeBron. I thought they could do a decent job on Davis, but no one to match up with on LeBron. Game one, honestly, the Lakers just kind of started out bad. And, I mean, realistically, they shut Portland down the rest of the game. They just couldn't throw it in the ocean. KCP was just running up and down the court, not doing much of anything. Same thing with Danny Green. So, you know, I think if Portland kind of, you know, Portland honestly gave all their energy just to get into the playoffs and make that push. So, you know, I think the Lakers won. I mean, that was about what I expected. I think I, I, think I agreed with you on six, but – no, I didn't think the Blazers had a real chance in that wasn't series of their defense. Yeah, it, it wasn't a very optimistic six. It was like, yeah, Damian's going to drag them to a game and a half, two wins, and then after that, Lakers should just you know kind of finish them off. Um, the one thing that I did get wrong, um, I, I will own up to this, I got two series wrong. Houston and, and Oklahoma City, I had OKC in seven. It was in seven, but the wrong team won for me. But I did have Indiana beating Miami in seven games, and they got swept. So I'll wear my my badge of, of courage with that one. Uh, Miami has not lost a game yet in the in the playoffs. They are 6-0 and in these playoffs. Yeah, Miami's been on fire. I actually got all my first round series correct, but I'm looks like I'm about to go 0 and 2 so far on my uh, Eastern Conference second rounds. It looks like I'm gonna get both these wrong because I had the favorite in both. You know what? I so this is this is a great segue to the second round. Uh, we'll talk about the games that have already happened, the series that have already had a few games happen, and then we'll get uh, on to the series that are fresh and new and just wrapped up yesterday and the day before. Um, Milwaukee and Miami, Miami's up 2-0. Every penny that I own that is able to be gambled tonight is going on the Milwaukee Bucks. I, me, me personally, I still think that Milwaukee is going to beat Miami, even, even down 2-0 right now. My, Milwaukee has looked so bad. They have not impressed me at all. I think they're kind of overrated. All that can still be true. But I still think Milwaukee's going to come back and win. Yeah, you know, I was on the, I was in the same boat, Cohen. You know, I really thought Miami was overrated and everything, but I personally still don't think Miami's all that great. But they're I also not. think they're that really we need not. to. No, they're not. But I think we need to address the fact the Bucks are overrated. I mean, in the playoffs, these teams have realized that all you have to do is park your big men in the paint and get the ball and not make it easy on Giannis, make Giannis become a jump shooter and make someone else beat you. And the Bucks don't have anybody else capable of that. I mean, honestly, Giannis reminds me a lot of LeBron right before he left Cleveland for the first time, and I feel like he's in a similar situation. And, you know, to be honest with you, Milwaukee, I don't think you all have a chance at coming back in this series. I really don't think you have the personnel. I mean, Chris Middleton has looked absolutely awful this entire series, and he had his first ever um, back-to-back games where he shot, like, under 30% in his entire career in the bubble. He's never looked the same player in the bubble I've never once thought Eric Bledsoe is a good player. I've always said he was the weakest link on the Buck and he Bucks and he'd get exposed. That's happened as well. 
Brooke Lopez is the only other guy who stepped up and played, but Giannis, but he can only do so much to help him. I mean, he's a freaking center for crying out loud. He's not a three-point shooter, even though he can knock some down in the corner. Yeah, he knocks some um, down, but that's not his game. Let's put it this way. Giannis is going to have the option to sign a Supermax this offseason. I guarantee you he's going to turn down that Supermax. It's, the Bucks are going to have to blow this roster up. I mean, you can't be the GM that trades your star player, even though I think that's what they should do. They're going to have to trade everybody to bring in somebody to play with Giannis because, I mean, this ain't going to get it done. I think they're done as of right now. So let's talk about the numbers. Um, this series opened at Milwaukee to win the series at minus 480 and Miami to win the series at plus 340. The numbers right now are Milwaukee plus 142 and Miami minus 162. So if you do want to bet on a on, on a Milwaukee comeback, the, <clears throat> the numbers are good for you to do so. They're not as inflated as I think they, they would be because Vegas does expect Milwaukee to kind of come back and put up a fight. But I'm not going to lie to you. I'd take the plus 142 for a Milwaukee series win. I wouldn't. I would save your money and go use it on something else. I would not bet a penny on this Milwaukee Bucks team coming back. They looked. I mean, they showed some fight at the end of the game last night. Also, by the way, those are two of the worst endings to games I've ever seen. The NBA officials is an absolute clown. It's an it absolute is. clown it show. Is. They might it as is. well ride around with the unicycles and have freaking clown noses on. I mean, that was the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. They completely ruined the entire first game. The second game, I thought they were going to ruin it by making some bullshit up just to help the Thunder out when they're trying to call that foul. Like, it was. It, I don't even know, man. Chris it was Paul, so, hey, it was, hey, Chris Paul was right. He he did get that timeout called before before the ball was inbounded and and, and the other foul was called. I'll say I that. Mean, I saw still, I saw Scott the Foster. Well, yeah, well, Scott Foster changed the call though. He ended up giving him the free throw, and Gallinari missed it. I mean. He, he that was gave the biggest the clown show I've ever the off seen. Off the ball foul and uh, the ball or uh, away from the play foul or whatever, and that was just it was so weird and, and and clinky for me. And even outside of that, even outside of that that shitty call that Jimmy Butler got on him, I know Giannis put his hand on his side, but come on now, um, all the calls have been late. Like to put for example, the reason that I hate cheering for Giannis is, is partly because of the refs. <coughs> Every time. <clears throat> He sells his body, and he runs the paint, flares up, throws up a, a, a prayer, and there's no call until they see him miss the basket. That's my problem with it. Make the call that you want to make. Make it quick. Make it fast. Don't wait. Don't make it a, a result-driven foul. Don't, oh, if he gets the bucket, we're just not going to give him the foul. Call the fucking foul, dog. Like, quit calling the foul so fucking late. Quit having to go to the board for every little thing and slowing the game down and doing everything else and make the replay work. I've seen so many calls, well, there's not enough evidence to reveal it. Shut the hell. That is the biggest crock of shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Steve Yavi, you're a joke. I hate you. Take your fucking mask off when you're on TV. You're in a room with just you. Why the fuck are you wearing the mask? Continue. Hey, I mean, Cohen, I don't think I could say it better than you did, man, about the officiating. The NBA officiating, I mean, that was awful. That was straight up awful. I mean, we even heard Mark Jackson and the and the commentators last night com uh, talking about it. They were like, we don't need the NBA officials to decide another game. I mean, if the, if anything, the NBA should have taken away any anything from yesterday's game. It's that they're a fucking clown show when it comes to calling these games. That was terrible. I love Doris Burke to death. Doris Burke is an incredible Same. woman in sports. She knows her stuff. She's a very good commentator mm -hmm. on the court, off the court, on the sideline, whatever. I love Doris Burke. She is great for the NBA. When she 
is telling you on live TV two calls in a row that she 100% vehemently disagrees with the call, something's wrong. Doris has always been a friend of the officials. She's always tried to, you know, kind of play devil's advocate with them. But when she says that they're 100% wrong and she 100% disagrees, there's something wrong. No, I agree with you completely. And I thought the referees really ruined last night's game. I mean, it took 30 freaking minutes to throw the ball in one more time in the OKC Houston game. I mean, I was pissed off and it made my blood pressure shoot through the roof too. So I don't know if the NBA is trying to give me an anxiety attack here or what, but man, that was some bullshit last night. Yeah, it was. But we're done. We're, we're, we're done on the soapbox about the about the referees. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Um, we're going to move on because I think Milwaukee's going to come back. Pinland doesn't. Let's just go ahead and leave it at that. Um, Boston versus Toronto, the, the other series that you think you've lost, that I think maybe you're not out of the woods yet. I have Boston going to the Eastern Conference Finals. So, you know, kind of take this with a grain of salt. The numbers started out at series win for Boston at plus 130 and Toronto minus 150. I picked Toronto singularly in this series to beat Boston and move on because they had looked so good. Now Toronto looks like shit. Like they, they were looking like world beaters in the first round and then now in the second round they can't do shit against a, a good Boston team, a team that's really good and really well coached and really well built, but they don't scare me with anything. The only person that scares me is Jason Tatum. Yeah, you know, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna say that I think that Boston is gonna win this series as well. I think that Toronto's dug themselves too much of a hole. Look, when you look at the Toronto box score last game, I don't know if they could have played any worse. OG Ananobi is the only player that shot above fifty percent for him. I feel like their scores haven't really showed up for them these last two games, but at the same time, I don't really think that Toronto is going to be able to come back and win this series. I feel like that going down 0-2 in the series against Boston, I mean, I know they did it last year, but I don't see Kawhi Leonard playing for the team again this year. I think they've dug themselves in too much of a hole. I think they might be able to take the series to six games, but I don't see it going much farther than that. I just think Boston, man, I think Jason Tatum's taking his game to the next level, and they don't really have an answer. And I know Kimball Walker played like shit that whole three quarters of that last game, but he came on strong. Also, too, though, Kimball, Marcus Smart's not going to hit five threes in the fourth quarter again. I don't care how he did it last game. That's not going to happen again. So, overall, I expect some regression from Boston. But realistically, I'd say with Boston having to win two games with uh, five to play, I think they'll end up getting the job done. I just think Toronto dug themselves too big of a hole. Some interesting facts about this series is that the Celtics were 2-1 and one straight up and against the spread in the regular season versus Toronto, and they beat them by 22 points in the bubble. After the first round, the Raptors were one of the best teams in the bubble at 11-1 and one straight up and 9-3 and three against the spread. They have an average win margin of about 10 points per game. Wow. Yeah, so, um, so let me ask you a question. Um, all the, the last three years even, I've thought I've, I've said this out loud on multiple podcasts that me and you have been on. I think Boston is the most well-built team in the East. I think they have one of the best coaches in the NBA. I think they have one of the best cores in the NBA. The last two games that we've seen them play against the Raptors, has this been the best Boston Celtics team that you've seen? Yeah, I think we've definitely seen the best version of their team so far. I feel like that they finally had that superstar leader for them. And Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving wasn't able to be it. Kimball Walker, I mean, straight up, Kimball Walker is a good player in the NBA, but he's not going to be your superstar leader. He's not built like that. I mean, he's He's a he superstar still has... in Charlotte, but he's not a superstar in Boston.
But not Thomas, uh, before we got cut out with technical difficulties, I was saying that Kibble Walker, he's a, he was a superstar with no expectations in Charlotte. Whenever, you know, they didn't really need to make the playoffs, he could, you know, do his thing and nothing was really kept off his back. But now, once all the onus is on him, he can't carry that load in Boston. Yeah, you know, I mean, even when he was in Charlotte, though, I mean, there's a reason why the Hornets didn't even make the playoffs last year when he was their quote-unquote superstar. I mean, Kimba would have nights where he'd come out there and shoot, you know, 18 for 22, and they would Charlotte would win, and he'd drop 40. Then he'd also have nights, though, where he'd come out and he'd shoot 12 for 27, you know, from the field. That was what he was. He's just a high-volume shooter. He's going to shoot the ball a lot, and, I mean, he ended up getting him to drop for him in the fourth quarter. He was hot in that one game, but, I mean – I personally have thought Kimball Walker's always been a little overrated just because he played for a team that really had nothing to play for, and they could only go as far as he could carry him. So, I mean, the whole entire offensive load kept on stayed on him. And, I mean, it's not like he's a great passer either. I really think this is Jason Tatum's team, and they can only go as far as he can take them. And, I mean, I think Tatum's ready to take them far. And let's not um, underrate the defense that Jalen Brown has played in, in these playoffs. Uh, even even in game two against Toronto, he, just, he was shutting down everybody. Mm-hmm. No, Brown's a slasher, and I mean, he's a dog on the defensive end. He's very underrated what he does and what he produces for this team. Honestly, I value him over I value Kimball Walker for this team. I mean, this Celtics team won tons of games this year with Walker out of the lineup. It really comes down to Brown and Tatum. Yeah, so the numbers as they sit right now, I told you that the, that the lines opened at Boston plus 130 to win the series and Toronto opened at minus 150. You had your money on Toronto. As of right now, Boston is minus 500 and Toronto is plus 395. Is there any value to that plus 395 or do you think they're dead in the water? Save your money, man. They're dead in the water. I don't see Toronto coming back and winning four out of five. I just It's just not happening. They're done. Yeah, I, I agree with you about Toronto, but I do not agree about Milwaukee. I think the league kind of wants to put Giannis in the conference finals um, because they didn't get the chance to last year. So I'm going to go ahead and just stake my virtual money, bragging rights on this podcast, that Milwaukee comes back, but Toronto does not. So let's start and open it up into um, Lakers versus Houston. Your Houston Rockets, um, they have not played a game yet, so the first game will be, what, tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you some fact factoids about, about this series before we get started. From Odd Shark, uh, the Rockets were two and one straight up and against the spread versus the Lakers this season, with an average winning margin of 15. The under is 10 and five through the Rockets' first 15 games in the bubble. LeBron James is the only player to be averaging a triple double in the playoffs after the first round. Prices for this series are Lakers minus 600, Houston plus 460. What's your deal? No, I think the only way you can look in this one is the Lakers, man. As much as I want to sit here and tell y'all Houston's going to win the series, Houston has a chance at winning the series, simply don't think it's going to happen. Russell Westbrook's not 100% right now. Houston doesn't have the players they need to beat this Lakers team. Um, I think that Houston can steal a game or two. I'm going to say Lakers win the series in five, though. But, you know, I think Houston's going to live and die by the three, and they're going to have to outshoot L.A. from three-point range. I mean, Anthony Davis, you know, is going to go off, so Houston's going to have to be nailing their threes. One thing that does bode well for them is the only time these teams played this season with their full lineup in, Houston did beat them, and that was with small ball, but it was the first game, and that was right before the season kind of got held up and everything. 
in the bubble they played, but I believe LeBron sat and Davis played. One of the two of them sat and the other played, as well as Westbrook sat and Harden played, and the Rockets won. So, I mean, the Lakers, I feel like we're also saving their real lineup for this actual series. I think the Lakers are going to be rested. They're going to come in and handle business. Houston's going to be a little tired from all the extra energy they have to exert uh, playing against Oklahoma City. I like Houston to steal one game. I would love to see them steal two. I think they can take one, though, but ultimately I think it's Lakers in five, man. Um, I, I kind of have the same thing as you, but I'm going to give the Rockets a little bitty bit more credit because you're energized, um, not physically, but mentally you're energized from winning a game seven um, against Oklahoma City. Um, I think you are correct. The Lakers' biggest weapon for them is the rest that they've had. Um, I think the Houston Rockets will steal two games. I'm going to go ahead and say Lakers in six. One more question before I move on. Um, your your season's not over yet. You know, you still have to play the playoff series. But is the experiment with this whole small ball, no center lineup done with Houston, or are they going to roll that back next year? No, I think they should roll it, roll it back next year. But they just need, like, one more player in there. You know what I mean? Like, they need some sort of <sighs> – I don't know who it is off the top of my head, but they need like another all-star caliber player in there who can kind of help stretch the floor and know that plays well into their system. So I think that they're still missing one guy, and I think that Houston should continue to try the small ball lineup. I just think they need like – I mean, Westbrook right now is kind of their guy that tries to give them an unfair advantage in small ball. I think they need like a power forward or like a small forward who – can play, you know, who's like a point center. I think they need someone who's like a point forward like that who can help them out rather than using, you know, you know, like they need one of those players who's unfairly built, like a Porzingis, like a Giannis, like an Anthony. You know, they need one of those guys who can play that point center, that point forward position for you. So let's move on to the last series of the second round, um, Denver Nuggets versus the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, same thing for me on, on this one. I think um, the Nuggets are going to be way too tired to even try to compete in this series. Um, the Clippers match up well against the Denver Nuggets. The Clippers were 2-1 and one straight up and against the spread uh, in three games against the Nuggets this season, and their average win margin was 21 points a game. The Clippers averaged the most points per game in the first round, um, 10 more points in the second-place Lakers, and then the Nuggets have the best three-point shooting percentage in the first round at 42%. It's only 2% roughly higher than the Clippers, who were in second place. So the Clippers match up really well against the Nuggets. Um, I don't see the Nuggets stealing more than one game. I'm going to go ahead and say Clippers in five. Let me give you the numbers before the series, before I, before I get your prediction. Denver is plus 775 to win the series, and Los Angeles is minus 1250. That scream sweep to me. I'm not going to lie, Cohen. If I was going to any of these games, if I was allowed to, I would definitely bring my broom with me to game four because it's going to be a sweep. I expect them to be light work. The Clippers will make easy work of them. Clippers are currently plus 130 to sweep the series. I like that a lot as a future. That is a very all even odd to, to, for a sweep. Usually sweep is like around three or 350 or 400. Yeah, and I mean too though when you look at that for at that series price, I mean that's more they're they're a heavier favorite to win this series than they were last series against Dallas, which is crazy because they're playing a four or a three seed here rather than playing the five, the seven seed. So I mean, I personally don't think the Nuggets have any chance. Look, Jamal Murray is going to be tired. You got Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George, arguably the three best perimeter defensive defenders in the NBA to rotate through to guard him. I mean, when Jamal Murray didn't play and when Jamal Murray didn't do anything in this series, the Nuggets barely even could do a damn thing this entire time. I mean, they have the big men. They need to slow them down. 
I think Jokic will have a decent matchup, but at the same time, you live with the Joker making two-pointers all the time. Also, the Clippers are number one in the NBA in efficient offense, and Denver has the worst defense in the entire bubble. They've gone over all but three games inside the bubble. I mean, I don't see how Denver is going to be able to get a stop here, man. I think the Clippers absolutely mop the floor with them and embarrass them. Also, those of y'all listening to this before the game start tonight, I love the Clippers minus nine. I think the Clippers mop the floor with them and embarrassed a tired Nuggets team in this game. Um, me and you both agree the Nuggets really don't have a real shot. I, I got them, I got the Clippers in five. You got them in four with the sweep. Um, and I think another thing is, it, and, and I hate to be disparaging about a team that just beat my team it, in a playoff series, but I think Murray is on a tier right below Mitchell to me, and I think they might have used up all their luck with Jamal Murray. You know, like Jamal Murray, he's not going to do that too many more times in the playoffs against good teams, you know? Yeah, I mean, and two, Donovan Mitchell would be the kind of guy who would be the one to D up Jamal Murray, but you don't want to waste him when you need him to carry your offense like that. He can't chase the best offensive player around the whole game and, and, and do carry everything. your offense, yeah. Yeah, and people who think that he should are stupid. I mean, I'm sick and tired of that precedent. Oh, he should be guarding the best player on the team. No, he shouldn't. This, you is, want not your Ru- best this player. is not Rucker Park in, in New York. You know, like this is like like we're not playing street ball. Everyone says Michael Jordan did it. I mean, shit, I bet you weren't watching the game when the first half Michael Jordan wasn't. Maybe the last couple possessions down the stretch, you move your best defender on him. But yeah, maybe for the you whole saw that game, on the last dance. But that yeah, but I mean, case. yeah, I mean, he guarantee you he's not matched up on the best player of the entire game. I mean, you can't do that. You get tired chasing him around. You need somebody to run that offense. And I mean, also, I don't see um, Scottie Pippen playing with it, playing on the Jazz or the Nuggets either. So, you know, it's not like they have a number two option anyway, but no, I mean, Jamal Murray, I've always said, when Jamal Murray plays like an all-star Jamal Murray, the Nuggets are a top five team in the NBA. But when he plays like 19 point per game, Jamal Murray, Nuggets are very, very beatable and will lose to anyone any night. I think Jamal Murray's taking some right steps, but, you know, I definitely agree. He's still got a year or two of growing before he's going to get up there with Mitchell. I actually thought Mitchell took his game to the next level in this series, but at the same time, I really, really wanted to see Mitchell take the next step in that game seven and put the team on his back and go off. And he, he tried to, but there, there are just so many of those young guy aggressive mistakes. I, I always call it Westbrooking, you know, just trying to dribble too hard, trying to run too fast, and then you just get a turnover. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I just feel like, you know, that they finally had him figured out and they had some sort of defensive plan they could use. Both teams were tired. You know, both teams were pressing. They want to slow the game down a little bit more because it's a game seven. So I feel like all those things didn't plan. I mean, also, too, I mean, both teams were pretty much shooting 50% from three. You know that had to come back down to earth. That just don't work like that. No, it sure doesn't. Um, and then I'm not sitting here taking anything away from Jamal Murray. I, I think he did take that next step, and I think he, he is on track. But let's not be prisoners of the moment. Let's not act like Jamal Murray is going to continue to do this every game for the rest of his career. Like, there are games that Donovan Mitchell has bad. There are bad Luka Doncic games. You know, like, just NBA fans, I know everything is moving very fast and all the marketing in the bubble is very good and they're showing us every little script of everything. But let's just not be prisoners to the moment. You know, like, Jamal Murray is still a very young player and – He's not there yet. He he went off, you know, like he had two 50-point games along with Mitchell. Like, But let's not be prisoners to the moment to where we crown this guy as the next best thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I still think Jamal Murray's got a lot of holes in his game and a lot of stuff he can work on. If anything, for the Nuggets, I look at this season as a success that you made it out to the second round and go ahead and get ready for next season when you got Bull Bull Porter Jr. taking that next step in his game. I mean, Michael Porter Jr.'s defensive numbers are atrocious. So that's what he needs to work on. If Porter Jr. gets that defense up, he'll be an all-star next year, and the Nuggets will be even better.
And let me also, before we get to the uh, bubble first round awards, uh, let me give a shout out to our man Wilt Barton, who came in for two games and was a defensive anchor for the Denver Nuggets and gave them some good quality minutes. You mean he, Gary Harris? Gary Harris. There you go. Um, he was he was half of the reason that that Denver came back in that game um, or in that series. So Thomas Penland, let's get to the our last segment, the first round bubble awards. Uh, before we get to the actual individual awards, what are some things that you liked about the bubble so far that we won't get to see again? Um, some things I like about the bubble that we won't get to see again. Like next year, like when we're back to playing with real people in real stadiums. Probably won't see as high scoring of games in the way that we did and as even and as like unchanging playoff spreads, if that makes sense. Just because home field will play some advantage, play some. And then the fact that you have all those cameramen and everything in the backdrop and such behind the goals. I mean, I think that everything in the bubble and the fact these teams don't have to travel and the fact that, you know, they have that backdrop that they have, I think changes everything and makes it a lot easier for shooters and everything. So I think we'll see a lot more defensive and a lot more slower paced playoff games rather than these fast paced high scoring games we've seen this entire playoffs. Yeah, one thing that that I've really kind of sunk in with this playoffs and, and being that my team is the Jazz and I was watching Jazz versus Nuggets, um, I really have enjoyed the kind of personal battles, the 1v1 battles that Murray and, and, and Mitchell had and that, you know, Marcus Morris and Luka Doncic have. It seems like the, the writers for the NBA are starting to push these narratives that are a little bit more friendly to – the marketing of the NBA now, like I love these great individual performances, like from TJ Warren, like from Dort last night. You know, like I do like seeing you know kind of these these guys emerge and break through the glass ceiling to be one of the NBA's new fixtures, so to speak. Uh, give me something. Yeah, Wait, also too, the other thing I'm going to miss about the bubble is having games on at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Nothing beats that, man. Nothing beats that. Not at all. Um, what are some things that you have not liked about the bubble? Um, definitely no home crowd just because it makes it a lot easier to bet on these games when there's home crowd and stuff. You can base a lot of stuff based off things like that, based off bad travel situations. Let's put it this way. I think it makes it a lot easier to bet on these games and these teams are playing in different stadiums and everything. So I definitely missed that part of it. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you. I miss having to factor in the mile-high altitude in, in, in Denver on the game for the, the Jazz home crowd, the Miami home crowd. I, I, I do miss having those variables in, in, in play and, you know, kind of throw a wrench into the action and kind of, you know, get that going. I think that in the bubble you can have a sweep like that because there's no other home court advantage and there's nobody there to cheer you on. Um, let's get into some individual performance awards for the bubble. Um, we're going to do player and coaches for this one. Give me your MVP of the bubble. Ooh, just the playoffs or regular season included? No, um, just the first round. Okay, so just the playoffs. Um, I mean, I'd have to go with Jamal Murray, man. I mean, he came back from injury and took his team into the next round. You know, he had all those 50-point games. I would pick Donovan Mitchell, but Jamal Murray ended up winning he's, the series, he's the one so that advanced. Jamal. I, I have the same exact thing written down. You read my mind. If I had to pick something different from yours, um, in terms of – so there's always a big debate on what does an MVP mean. Does it mean best player or does it mean most important to their team? So I think that if you're talking about most important to their team – it was Luka Doncic, of course. Like He had to have those incredible performances for the Mavericks to even be in the games. So uh, even though he didn't win, I do like him for the most valuable player. Uh, give me your most valuable coach. Um, my most valuable coach, I would probably go with, 
Hmm, I'm trying to think about these matchups. Um, you know, I'd probably go with Mike D'Antoni, honestly. You know, I feel like that Mike D'Antoni was able to integrate a system and integrate players like Jeff Green and stuff into their offense and get it going, you know, kind of for the Rockets when they first came in there without Westbrook. And then when Westbrook came back, he was able to reintegrate him and kind of move everything around with his rotations and stuff and still get the Rockets on to the next round. So You were able you know, to tread was, water without having Westbrook, and that's all you could ask for to win in a seven-game series. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to give my vote to Mike Malone. Uh, whenever his team is down uh, 3-1, he said that we're not playing with the energy and the guys aren't playing with a sense of urgency. And he immediately did a 180 turn. Yeah, the, the, the stoppage in play due to the social justice had something to do with that as well. But Mike Malone almost single-handedly raised his team's expectations, their energy, and he really got them going. Um, two more before we go. Um, give me your player LVP, your least valuable player, player that we thought we were going to get a good performance from. Their team might have advanced if they would have played a little bit better. Um, just because you said they might have advanced, I was going to go with Pandemic P, but, I mean, he's too obvious of a answer there. Go ahead and give me yours while I think about it for a second. Um, I actually have written down for the LVP um, – I may not have any numbers to back this up, but I think if he would have played a little bit better, his team might have advanced. Steven Adams. Steven Adams was getting bossed around the paint all series by an undersized Rockets team, wasn't securing the amount of rebounds he should have secured, and even before the playoffs started, he just didn't look good. Thunder would have won a few more games if he would have played a little bit better. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with Joel Embiid, and you might be like, wow, he was the only option Philadelphia had. But one, Joel Embiid was out of shape. Two, all he wanted to do was hang around on the freaking perimeter and shoot jump shots. And three, I mean, he never once rolled hard on a screen and roll. I mean, he's setting screen and rolls, and he has the big man out there. I mean, he's way more agile, and he's way better than Tice is. I mean, on a screen and roll, that should be easy money for him with the Celtics having no other big man in the lineup. Instead, he just wants to go hang out on the perimeter. I thought Joel Embiid completely phoned it in, and he played like a straight-up, I'm not even going to say what he played like, it was, let's put it, yeah, yeah, there you go. Cohen said it for me. And honestly, I think Joel Embiid deserved to get kicked in the nuts a couple times by his coach because, I mean, he's out of shape and part of the reason why he got fired. So, honestly, I thought Joel Embiid had a horrible attitude and he didn't give a damn the entire time. Body language there, so was my horrible. least valuable player. You could tell that he had phoned it in. You could tell that without Ben, he just knew that he was going to go ahead and get Brett fired and we'll just run it back next year. Um, I didn't know if you were going to use the P word to to describe uh, Embiid, but I was going to... That one works one. too. I was, was, was going to use that one for playoff P. You know, like I was, <laughs> that way he can be a bitch and he can be a whatever. Um, Thomas Pimlin, that's all I got. Or, or, or no, let's do coaches. Um, who is your who is the coach that showed up the least in the bubble for, for the playoffs? Uh, I'm not going to fault Brett Brown for it because he was thrown into a bad position and didn't really have much to play with there in the bubble. Um... You know, I thought that for the most part, I thought thought that uh, actually, you know who I'm going to fault here, it, and it's it, going to be it's Quinn Snyder because he failed it, to make any adjustments when Denver would would mess up the game plan or, or rearrange the game plan. Quinn Snyder kept on throwing Yang, Bradley, and all these idiots out there. And Quinn Snyder, I love to death. He's one of the I think top ten head coaches in the league. But in that series, he failed to make any meaningful adjustments, and for that, he is my least valuable coach of the bubble. I'm going to completely agree with you on that. I knew what you were going to say. As soon as I heard that tone in your voice, it's like, Cohen's not going to like this, but I'm going to say Quinn Snyder. I was like, it's Quinn Snyder. That's 100% who it is. Hey, and I thought the funny part, too, was kind of the, so the Jazz, at first, Quinn Snyder realized that Porter Jr. was no good at defense and started they would, to go they at would, him. They would, they would punch at him. 
Mm-hmm. But then, that, you know what Mike Malone did? He said, uh-uh, not so fast. And he went right at Georges Niang the entire time. I mean, they like I told you, Cohen, if Georges Niang was a, was a middle schooler on the playground, they pulled down his pants and took his lunch money and hung him from the monkey bars by his pants with his with his butt out. You know, like, there was a they play literally— that, I, I heard Mike Malone on, on the NBA Coaches Wired on TNT. I, the, the play call was punch five. Punch five. Go right at five. Every time that Gobert went in the game, Mike Malone would reach back, punch five. Every time. Punch five. I heard, I heard him say it ten times in a game. Yeah, and I thought the worst thing, too, that Quinn Schneider did was when he sat Donovan Mitchell for so long when y'all get up big in game in game six. It was like he was like, oh, we're up. We'll be fine. And he puts him back in. I mean, Donovan Mitchell had a positive plus minus in game six and seven, and they still lost the game. I mean – at that point, if you're Quinn Schneider, call your freaking timeouts, man. You can't take them with you to the grave. Call your timeouts. He did do call them in game you, seven, but not in six. Yeah, do anything you can to take timeout, get Donovan Mitchell. Shoot, if I was him, I would have looked at Donovan and said, you're playing 42 minutes. We're ending it right here. We're not playing a game seven. You know? And um, I'm you pretty sure in the game off- that, that, Mark, that Mark Jackson had us on, I think that was what he said on the broadcast, too. He said, Quinn Snyder needs to walk up to him, him and Gobert both, and say, look, fellas, I need you on the floor for the, this, the, the rest of this half. You know, like, I just need to have you out there. Yeah, and, you know, great players in the playoffs, they play 42 or 44 minutes a night. You know, they rest for maybe four minutes. You know, if, if honestly, if Quinn Schneider was smart, this is what he would have done. He would take them out, call a timeout when he takes them out, let them rest, and do it when it's, like, right before that first TV timeout. You know the what TV I mean? Timeout, so then they get a rest. Yeah, so then they get a rest again for the TV timeout. That's what the smart coaches do. That's what you see Doc Rivers do with Kawhi. That's what you see D'Antoni do with Harden. That's what you see all the smart coaches do is they take them out about a minute before the TV timeout is. They call a timeout, a full timeout, so they get that full length of commercials. Then they go play it for about a minute, and then someone commits a whatever foul. Then you go take another TV timeout for another, you know, two, three minutes and get them that extra. You know, right there, boom, that's a 10-minute rest, and they only rest for a one minute of game time. You know, like you like you can't factor in – how big those TV timeouts are. And it was like Quinn Schneider. It was like Quinn Schneider was like a chicken with his head cut off. He just got thrown in the fire. He didn't know what the hell he was doing. Yeah. Um, if I talk about this any longer, I'm going to pull a mic blown. I'm going to punch five holes in the wall because we <laughs> should have won that series. Like, it's whatever, though. Like, I mean, like, my, my, my prediction worked out. I still didn't get cocky whenever we were up three to one because I knew that Denver was still in it. And Donovan did too. And look what happened. So, Thomas Penland, um, that is the end of our episode. If you don't have anything else, we are right at 45 minutes. This is perfect timing for us. Uh, before we go, I'm going to let you plug yourself. Yeah, I appreciate that, Cohen. Um, follow me on Twitter at TP3Wins, on Instagram at TP3Bets. Already posted a bunch of bets for today. I got some college football up there for you degenerates for tonight and for this weekend. I'll have more college football for you degenerates. So, Get ready. We're locked and loaded. Football's back in full swing next week, so now's the best time to follow me. Let's go. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you can find me on Instagram at code underscore Hughes, or you can search Facebook. You can also find me on the Action app along with Thomas. Um, I think his is Hot Takes with TP3. Mine is Daily Degenerate. Mm-hmm. So find us. You can find our picks live as we post them. The dollar sign we attach to them. You, we can, you can live track them. Green light means they're going to hit. Red light means they're projected not to hit. Go follow us on there. You can find our picks, our numbers, our records, everything that we got. Uh, I think I'm like 62% on MLB, so just take all my MLB picks. Fuck my NBA picks. They're not very good. Um, but my MLB picks are good. You can follow the podcast page at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. But ladies and gentlemen, we sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode. Like, subscribe, rate, 
click reboot whatever the hell it is millennials are doing nowadays um this has been episode 138 we sincerely hope you enjoyed have a good one guys